0: Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks for joining me for today's Sports Stories podcast. It's with great pleasure that I'm with you today and I'm really excited as there's some really exciting times ahead with Sports Stories podcast as we've got some great new content to bring to you and some other exciting news. The exciting news is that Ruby Lousley-Williams and Lucas Brothwaite will be joining the, uh, the sports stories team as marketing and podcast team members, which is really exciting. And they'll be bringing you some fantastic uh, insights into various topical and really important themes around sports with a program called the SS15s, which will be short stories of about 15 minutes long, which will really get to the point, really uncover some real great detail and have some fantastic guests on there. With regards to today's podcast though, it's uh, it's gonna be a podcast with a bit of a twist. Um, the special guest on the programme today will be me. I'll be delving into my sports story and life story a little bit uh, with the very good help of Mr. Ian Braid from Dockier Sport. Ian has kindly offered to, to uh, interview me today. He's been a previous guest on the Sports Stories podcast uh, and has also heard from many people about, you know, when is it Dave's turn to share his story? Let me understand his journey. Why has he come to doing sports stories? what's his been involvement in sport and how has it impacted on his life? So it is with great pleasure that I've shared my story with you today. I really hope that you will enjoy it, but more importantly, get some benefit and some insights into how my story might be able to really help you. So without further ado, let's crack on with the show. And please stay till the end as I'll be passing on some further information about what's coming down the line with the Sports Stories podcast. So grab your cup of tea, sit back, enjoy, take some notes, and I hope you get a load out of today's episode. Well, Mr. Ian Braid, welcome back onto the Sports Stories podcast. It's uh, fabulous to have you with me here today. Um, I- I'm a little bit excited and a little bit nervous because I think we're going to do something with a bit of a twist here today. Um, and Ian, I- I'm really pleased to have you with me because so many people over the last um, sort of 18 months or so have said to me, Dave, you know, what about your sports story? What- what's your background? What's happened in your little world? you know, you've, you've done this conversation for so long now, uh, is it not time to sort of turn the tables as it were? So Ian, I'm delighted that you have come along and asked me to do this today. Uh, and I'm gonna turn the sort of tables around and uh, be in your able hands of sharing my sports story with you and please feel free to, to delve in, ask, and I'll give you the very best of me if I can.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dave. And uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here and to be, not sat in the hot seat, but me serving with new balls and seeing what you knock back across the net. Um, people have demanded this, you know what I mean? They, uh, we need to know what this bloke Dave Levine's all about. So um, I am a nosy so and so, as you know. So uh, uh, it is my privilege to be here and hopefully we, we ask the right questions. I know it'll be interesting. And um, without much further ado, perhaps we should um, crack on indeed indeed <laughs> so Ian Braid serving with new balls uh, at Uh Dave where did it all begin and how long ago
0: well in, it, it, it began a long time ago about 50 years ago uh and, surely, surely not yeah about 50 years ago and I was uh, I was born in, in born in South Africa and lived at was uh, about seven or eight and my kind of sports stories as it were started right back then i I was born into a kind of a a white middle class family in in the middle of the apartheid regime in south africa Uh, we had a a lovely house great weather and we were privileged or not privileged depend how you view it to have a a tennis court and a swimming pool in our back garden as most white middle class people did and i guess that was my introduction to being outside playing sports uh, and just becoming active as a young person right the way through to the age of seven, where we left and moved to England.
1: So, are you an only child, or are there other Levines or baby Levines? Are
0: there are other Levines. Uh, there are uh, an older brother, and then I've got two older sisters. So, I am the baby of the family, the youngest one. Um, and so, they're all older than me four, six, and eight years older than me. So, I'm, I am the youngest. Coming through, and they've all been involved in sport and had an influence on me, I guess, in in many ways because I've followed in their paths.
1: And and do you have any memories of what it was like as a white middle class family living in an apartheid regime? Did you know? I'm, explain that to me. How did that feel?
0: Look. yeah, it's. um I did have. I do have some memories. Uh, you know, those are the formative years of my life. You know, can't not being quite impactful and influential on on me and who i am you know bearing in mind i was only seven when we left there i can't remember it in great detail but uh, you know we we lived in a house we had a gardener we had a maid we had kind of what term servants but we had a real different relationship with them in that early stages you know they were they were very much part of our family um, as opposed to they're just working for us you know we looked after them really well Uh, and actually got to know their families and when we left the country we left things for them albeit there was lots of problems around doing that because they were then privileged to have things which they deemed not to be allowed to have. Uh, It was quite an interesting time I guess in just learning and being brought up in that environment. Now there was a a huge amount of segregation still. I I went to a little nursery. My my brothers and sisters who were older than me as I said went to a, a Uh, sort of a high school there and it was largely white high school so it was quite a a, a kind of a a divided place you know and i guess i was exposed to that at a very early stage and you know my my parents worked and stuff but i also got used to living with a a a maid and somebody who kind of looked after me a little bit they lived in the house with us kind of stuff or in a a small outbuilding. but it was a Mm -hmm. fabulous upbringing actually and you know I, i guess i smile because to this day a lot of that experience i know does influence uh, an impact on some of my thinking today
1: well well well, well maybe uh, see prove the test of time over the next <laughs> um and the next hour or so but there there must have been a tipping point or something for your parents when they you know said this is not a place to bring up uh, three young children you know what was that and and what was it like leaving what in many ways sounded like an idyllic seven-year-old's childhood
0: well i guess it's always easy looking back in hindsight you know is what it was like uh, the, the tipping point was for our family that my brother would have had to through conscription go into the army and that was he was at the age of where you had to automatically go into the army and that was something that our family weren't uh kind of interested in him we didn't want for him um and that was the tipping point so my my father's actually born in south africa my mother was born in the north of england in halifax and they um they met in leeds and then went back over there so my brother is actually born in england and then me and my two sisters were born in south africa so we had connections and ties to the north of england Uh, at the age of seven or so i hadn't been to school yet because in south africa you go to school when you are about sort of seven or eight and in england you go to school when you're sort of three four so we came to england as a family leaving behind sort of a, a big house and outdoor environment you know i never used to wear shoes much because i was always really physically active and outside playing swimming playing sports doing all sorts and we came to england at that stage uh to a really small house where there were six of us in it we had to rent it we had no money we had no nothing so it was a real a traumatic experience looking back on it but at the time i probably didn't realize that but you know i was a happy young lad with you know everything that there was to have um and coming to a different country with a different kind of culture and environment was quite a big upheaval and i had to go to school and make friends and, and start my life again really in, in england at that age
1: so you you you're seven if you'd stayed you'd be starting school you come to to England and seven year olds are as you say probably three four years maybe in the mix um what what was the, what i mean you know you you'd look physically bigger than, <laughs> than and I had uh, that must have been you, you know when you when you're when you're seven year old and and not looking to stand out uh,
0: South african accent i suspect a tinge of one, a tinge of a South African accent. I, I'm born I'm born at the back end of the year, Um, in school years, I'm a, an August birthday. So I was still younger in my year, but still, nevertheless, I came to school here. I was, a, I think I was a seven, eight year old and they put me in the nursery school. We went into a small village where we could afford to rent a house, went to a small village school and I was put with the three or four year olds because at that age, actually I, I couldn't read. My parents didn't know that I could read. In fact they only recognised that I could read when I was at the age of nine when we went back to South Africa and I read on a, um, a, a beach that we were on the coast and it said that on the beach that you know there was no no this was a beach for white people only and that's the first time that my parents knew that I could read when I was about nine and my mother actually taught me to to count um, doing maths and stuff uh, she taught me to play bridge and in the card game of Bridge, you have to count to 13. So that's her kind of way of teaching me how to, to count um, as we kind of, as I grew through. And now, so it's quite a traumatic time coming here. Um, small village school didn't fit. And I, I often tell this story because it, it really, again, resonates with who I am. But I went to the small village school. I couldn't read, as, you, as I mentioned. We used to have spelling tests back in the day where you've got your 10 spellings. And I used to learn five of them and I used to get five right and I got five wrong. Because it was quite a, a traumatic experience learning just five of them because I couldn't read very well, uh, and the school penalised me. And they didn't allow me to go swimming because I didn't get all ten of them right, um, and that was kind of I got punished for getting five right, which was a, an amazing achievement. But I got five wrong, and I got have to, I had to get left behind and not go swimming because I didn't get them all done. So I mean that,
1: that's more that's more than. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I listen to you speak and it sounds cruel. They, and I guess, you know, if you're a man that's spent your first seven, eight years doing loads of sport to then have the penalty of, because if they've if allowed you to go swimming, you would, Probably have won the school gala or
0: something, wouldn't you? But uh... well, I, I wouldn't. My parents always used to say, "Dave, you spend more time under the water than on top of it, swimming through it." You see, so it was a, a playful activity. I'm not a great swimmer; I don't really enjoy it, but it was just such fun, you know, and a release for me. And I think that experience, that the school, without wanting to be critical, it was a small village school, and I don't think they knew what to do with me really. Um, you know, not very big numbers in the school, and they just, you know, lots of mixed classes and so on. But I guess looking back on it, I've learned, I learned a lot about what it was like to be brought up and live through and experience those early stages of learning in that kind of environment.
1: Years ago, there probably wasn't the phrase outlier, but that, um,
0: and you didn't know you were one, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you rocked up and delivered it. I, my, my parents actually at that stage again, probably they didn't really know what to do with me. And they spent a lot of time kind of educational psychologists and looking for sport working with the school to try and work out how to kind of get me going and engage me and help me learn and develop you know they were they were exploring a lot at that stage as well as to how to best do with me because my my brother uh, brothers and sisters were ahead of me in some ways and the the educational system was uh, in some ways they were far more advanced than the english system when they came over but in other ways they were they were behind so there was lots of sort of negotiating with the school system and education system for them as well when we came to England.
2: Right. Were you bullied?
0: Was I bullied? I wasn't. I don't recall being bullied at at, uh, at primary school. Uh, oh. I was probably more bullied at, at secondary school. um and and bully's a strong word, uh, you know, I, I think I was probably a little bit, but I learned a lot of good strategies how to manage myself through that. You know, when I got to secondary school, you know, jumping on a little, I was in the lower sets, as it were, I was still sort of catching up, uh, I got in with a lot of the, the, the rougher parts of the school, uh, you know, I, but, you know, joking aside, sport was the vehicle that really helped me because I was good at sport and it was the way I, I got to connect and meet and show my value and worth with people at secondary school and I think that's how I found my credibility I played football a year up you know I was credible I was and um, I was the in crowd because I could play sport right
1: the uh, you know it sort of resonates with me and not that this is about me but as a man who was uh, had to have written dispensation to wear long trousers because I was tall and gangly I uh, went to a grammar school in a working class fishing port and sang in a church choir. I didn't set myself up very well to, um, <laughs> but sport was the saviour. I learned how to run fast. That was yeah. my, you know, clear all flight. I ran the um, so we'll come to the sport because that gets that gets us interesting. But the, um, you take or leave education. Was it in retrospect a good time, you know, going through secondary school as well?
0: Education was an, uh, an important time, I guess. Yeah, I, I realized that I needed to engage in it. Uh, I've got brothers and sisters that were all doing all right. Um, you know, I, I guess you follow on their coattails a little bit. Um, we, it, it was interesting. We, we came to a, a town um, and I was, uh, we were a sporty family. My brother was good at sport. He played football, uh, cricket and rugby, um, but he was predominantly a footballer and a, Cricketer, that was these kind of flavors from you know, over to the UK. My sisters played tennis really well and netball and swam really well. Um, so we were quite sort of um welcomed into the sporting system. But we went to one school uh, and were told at the one school that you know we asked about well, from my brother actually asked whether we, we played football or rugby. And he said he was a footballer, where he was told that he, he played with the a roll shaped ball because the school at that stage didn't play football. You know, so we actually went to probably the biggest school in the area, but was actually they went to the biggest school, which was the high school in the area. But it was it was enormous. But again, I, I followed in their coattails. Really, they did quite well, uh, and found a way through it. And I, I think what I began to realize is education was all right, uh, but it, it needed to be on my terms. And that's what my parents learned: is that they you'll do all right if you play to what you enjoy, what you've chosen and what you're good at. Um, and what they are ended at letting me do is kind of follow that track. I've got a philosophy and I know some people will smile at this, but I guess at that stage, I learned to find out what good enough was um, at school because I needed to make sure that I passed and success was passing things. Success became uh, that I didn't have to do things again rather than
1: being really hard. Yeah. Maybe the trigger point for that was learning five words by rote for spelling tests and they really? so it's you know there's a little bit there and i know it you know we're back in the day here aren't we but yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
1: the education system was used to dealing with its
0: students as commodities and couldn't adapt to but but i think Ian, that's what what's what I, I i really learned or my parents really did because i i, I did the first year of a levels back in the, the day and What I ended up doing is, after the first year, realised they weren't for me, and I bombed out. I left, and I went and did a vocational qualification in in and around sport because that's what interested me. That's what I was good at. That's what floated my boats. And actually, that's where I put the energy because I chose to do that, and I had some buy into it. Okay, so let's let's
1: have a. We'll come to the vocational bit in a minute. The um, but you're in your teens your sporting credentials will be coming to the fore um you've talked a, you've talked a bit about football tell us about your football did you have trials with Manchester United or um, or you know some non I don't know skipped in athletic or in West Yorkshire I,
0: and what are the sports were i sport became a, an avenue for me to kind of just express myself and connect and enjoy my, my kind of Went through school and I played uh, football through school often a kind of a year up, a little bit at times, uh, got to know a lot of people. My Where I went with it, I ended up playing county football and county cricket and um, went for trials at that sort of age. But I think I was around, I think I was about 17 when I was playing for the area of football and, and at cricket. Um, and I went for the next level trials and um, and I got in my own way. Uh, they, I, I turned up at the trials and I think this is a this is a sort of smart from a, a bit of the past really. Um, I went to the trials and I turned up there and it, 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 it appeared that everybody had been chosen already um, because I turned <laughs> up there and everybody had the right blazers on or the jackets and everybody knew everybody else and that just didn't sit very comfortably with me uh, going to the trials of that sort because it didn't feel like you were being judged on your your ability but more about who you were my dad wasn't big in the, the football or cricket world and it, and it's right. some, and i actually chose not to go any further with it um, because it wasn't it, didn't feel right
1: sometimes you know and and smarts and hindsight and retrospect and all of that but sport sometimes creates so many perceived barriers to entry doesn't it It <laughs> you know it really the uh, my son did a triathlon. He did the Blenheim triathlon of the week. Mrs. Braid attended, as did Ella, his girlfriend.
2: Yeah.
1: And and there was a, a a woman official who was doing the bike out, bike in. You know, in the transition area. Yeah. Absolutely barking at everybody. Do this. Do that. Do the other. Stand up when I told you. And somebody said to her. You know, can you give me a bit of a break here? This is my first triathlon. And anyway, this woman got dobbed in by Mrs. Braden and, and Harry's <laughs> girlfriend. They, but again, you know, would that guy ever do triathlon? You know, the... I don't know. Uh, we, we could do another pod on barriers to entry in sport. The right? we will. The... Um, <laughs> the um, well, I mean, the listeners need to know, were you a... Uh, well, in a... <laughs> in a Yorkshire football sort of a way, were you um, Billy Bremner or were you Alan Clark or, you know, what position were you? And no, same for, you know, were you a boycott or an Arnie side sidebottom?
0: No, no. What was I? Um, I'm a good, solid defender. You know, I, start, I, played, I started my footballing career back in goal because I think that's a really great place and you, know, you always need to take your turn. You know, no one wanted to play in goal. With safe, the, pair with safe pair of hands. Safe pair of hands. And then um, I came out, I, I'm not a skillful, creative kind of person. I'm a good, solid, safe pair of hands, but I, I think I can turn a switch on a football field, you know, and I can become really competitive. And I, I've learned a lot about myself in terms of the competition side of things. I'm a, I'm a really, I really like to win, but I'm a really great loser as well, in terms of um, if, I, if I've managed to play to my best, then I'm happy with my own performance. So in playing football, to this day. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa! Now here's the difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> your education. I know what I need to do to get by. Yeah. Right, and there's a win or losey, you know. Our Billy's got eight GCSEs. How many's your Dave got? All of that nonsense. Yeah. they and now on a sporting pitch, then. Seriously, ahead of your time. As long as I've been as good as I can be, it doesn't matter whether skipped an athletic one, two nil or we lost two, one. because you've you know, you're at peace with your own performance. I think what age were you when you come to that? that?'s I mean, I haven't done
0: that yet it's it, It's always been something with me. Do you know I never keep the score playing football I never used to know what the score was. Um, I is used there, to... it is there such a thing as a friendly in your life um. It's uh, a good question. Is there a friendly? Um, I think there is. I, but I, 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 I played football just the other week, actually, having not played for about seven years. And I, I still was competitive. But, I, you know, I, I wanted to give my best, but I, I, I knew where the line was as such. So it, I, 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 do you know what? And I know we're jumping around here a little bit. You know, one of the sports which I came to further on in my career, in my life, when I got to... Back into school and into university was skiing and I really loved it because it was about competition against yourself I never did it competitively but it was something I could try and just improve who I was and how I did it you know and it felt um, you know I, I just love that opportunity really so I, I take that into my football and into cricket and whatever is just just try and get better at what you do and if I've come off there I've been done my best and given it my all, then I was happy with that
1: so Dave bites your legs Levine. We have got that, right? The master's footballer, obviously, just as as stated. And I won't ask you the result because it doesn't matter, because you were pleased with your performance. And uh, what were you in cricketing terms? Were you, as I say, were you uh, were you boycott or Arnie sidebottom?
0: Well, I was uh, probably either because I was a, a, a wicketkeeper. wicket keeper. Um Oh, so, a barestow then? A though maybe, a though maybe. But uh, I, I was a wicketkeeper probably because I would have got bored not doing being involved. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. And I, and I think that's what brought me to cricket. I, I I could bat a bit and I could bowl a bit, but you know my my cricketing career came to a came to a halt when um, I was paired uh, at a trial with another young lad who was uh, also a wicketkeeper, but his dad was the coach of the team and he got in and I didn't and i was probably better if not, you know
1: similar to that well all right that's the other podcast right the yeah. um
0: yeah
1: The and this and we are going to, we are going to jump now but your um this philosophy that you 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 developed about being happy with your performance irrespective of the broader result yeah Have you passed that on to your kids you see that in them um
0: I, I'm, Passed on or passing it on, maybe. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's something that comes over time. I have conversations with my my son, who's a, my middle son. He's uh, more into his football now. He's uh, 16, 17, and he's um he's at that age of working out what winning really means in competition and competition and being able to bring his best and his aggression in a in a kind of a purposeful way to, to what he does. But I also, you know, I guess this comes into the work I do to this day and around, actually, is it process driven or is it outcome driven? And, you know, I think it's something about actually really wanting to go in there and do your best and being comfortable with that, and working out what that is. So I'm I'm in the process of um, hopefully bringing that through in them a little.
1: Good, because they will be the richer for it. Yeah. And... I wish I'd had that conversation with you when I was a kid. <laughs> that would have that would have saved me a lot of angst when I was playing rugby, etc. The um, uh, so I mean we talk and you we're talking about your philosophy there. The yeah. and looking back at things, the if I was to ask you about Dave Levine, would you would you draw a coat of arms that reflected your values, and you had four quadrants in which to put the most important values? Because I think that, I'm a personal believer that, that, you know, that moral compass really drives who you are as well. What would you say your key values are? Um, it,
0: I, I work with this a lot, actually, and I think about it a lot. And I, I, one one of the things that does come back to me a lot is around fairness. Um, and I can see why that's come through in all of my kind of upbringing life. Fairness is, is something that's important to me. Part of my moral compass, though, is also around his um, words to do with authenticity and being bringing the very, both best, but also the very genuine whoever you are to the party. Uh, and I, I think that's important. I, I like to try and work with people and be with people around people who can just be themselves and don't feel like they need to be somebody other than that. Um, and, you know, another thing, I, I guess, which is kind of ironic, really, but it's this thing around hard work, because, you know, in the early days, I, I guess I don't know that, I don't know whether it was labelled as hard work, me coming through my career and education, when I'm saying, you know, I, I found out or worked out what was enough. But actually, I used to have to work really hard to get what enough was.
1: I was going to say, that it isn't necessarily hard work, it's work is hard. Yeah. that's That's how you you know that's how it was for you wasn't it yeah yeah
2: yeah um
1: not your fault uh, nobody's casting you know, at yeah. um so go on anyway so th- th- just just give us this th- these that ba- so fairness i've got authenticity i've got yeah hard uh, work uh, i've got
0: uh, hard work um i guess uh, those, those that's what i look for in both myself and others and i think that's the, the other the other thing which is important to me is is um, is congruence actually and what I mean by that and I use that a lot sometimes I don't use that particular word I've, I've worked with people who are going well what does that really mean but for me is it's kind of merely practicing what you preach and I, I do that in myself that's important to me to you know what I say is what I do um, and I look for that in others
1: right brilliant what I do like about this is I'm <laughs> is I'm making you think yeah. The um, which is uh, I don't know, it's a privilege, Dave.
2: Yeah.
1: Genuine, genuine privilege. So, so you got through education. You gave it, um gave it one years of A levels. Enough already. I'm yeah. done here. Drop the mic out. So, and you, and you, you, you said just a couple of minutes ago about you doing a vocational course. With, yeah. I'm guessing that was sports related, was it?
0: yeah yeah so i i I went and did a uh went to the local college which was not what's done in our family i guess um and i did a vocational btec qualification which back in the days was the vocational kind of approach in in sport leisure and tourism it's the, the kind of the course that i did what what i had my aspirations on i guess was to do things that i enjoyed and progress in that way and i managed to uh, Moved forward. I went to the university off the back of doing a vocational qualification, which again was not really heard of back in those days. You've to come through a much more traditional route, but I got a distinction in the vocational qualification, which opened the door up to doing a sports degree. What was your parents' um,
1: perspective on this? You know, where you're the youngest, has every other Levine gone to university and and you've gone, I'm taking a left turn here rather than the right? or were they supportive? Were they, um, did, you, did you feel supportive?
0: I felt very supported. Uh, you know, I'm the youngest of four. You, you might argue in some families that, you know, the uh, parents make the mistakes on the older ones as they're coming through and then they forget about the last one. That might be one way of looking at it. But what my, my parents learned from the, you know, going from those educational psychologists back in the day and right from the sort of day dot of my educational experiences, that they needed to get out of my way. And actually by getting out of my way and letting me do what i kind of signed up to and chose then i'm likely to do what's right or do what's best so they got out of my way and you know they said well you choose where you want to go what you want to do and i did and i put my mind to it and i was successful at it
1: the uh i'm minded of the phrase that um there's a role of parents is to to give your children roots and then give them wings so that they can fly. And it sounds like Mr. and Mrs. Levine, whether they set out to do that, but they made a pretty good job of that.
0: Well, I think like most families, you know, um the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs along the way, you know. And um my to this day, you know, my my mother still works, she's a, a, a therapist counselor, so she works in that kind of field of supporting uh People through the highs and lows of their careers, through their marriages and their relationships and all sorts of things. And has done that for a very long time. And my and my father's had his own business, but also um, has worked in the field of, of charities, working with people with learning disabilities and in a lot of the sort of community settings. So, you know, I, I, it makes me smile looking at parents, given that I'm a parent myself now, and talk and think about it a lot in terms of, you know, where is the book? and doing a good job and what is a good job. But I think what they managed to do for me is managed to find a way that worked and didn't probably treat me the same as my brother or they learned it from brothers and sisters, but I did manage, I, I did feel that they were, they just allowed me to to fill, fill the space that I needed to fill, which was probably quite scary for me, but also empowering looking back now because I was in charge of it.
1: And you knew they were there, you know, there was a, yeah. there was always a touchstone, wasn't there, you know? Yeah makes me smile I think think about my two kids Harry and Jess uh and we'll put use a sporting analogy right and 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 an animal one right Harry Harry was very much a dog right yeah I'm gonna throw this stick go and try that right I've, I've got that stick I'm done can, what else can I do got, here's another stick go and try that right I'm back again and that was his attitude to sport and Jess who has my uh, she doesn't thank me for having my build of being I mean, she's beautiful girl, beautiful woman, tall and willowy, but long legs, so and so forth. They her attitude to swimming, right, was more feline, right? So she learned how to swim because it's a life skill. You 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 get that. Right, Dad. I know I can swim. You know I can swim. So why do I need to do any more swimming? And we had to and we had to deal with them as individuals because it was you know, remember the brave family sport is compulsory right we're just got to work out what the sport is yeah but we had to do it in a different way and yeah. and it with each of them and no i'm 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 really impressed to was was one of your parents more of a influence or than the other and 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 in what way would that be
0: um i think in a in a sporting context there were both Kind of there in terms of a support. Uh, neither of them have played to a really high level. Uh, I think the sport was in the family in a sense of my grandparents and uncles were into into rugby and cricket, and those sort of sports. Um, I didn't ever know them or never knew. I knew my uncle a little, but not a great deal. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know much about their background and their stories, and they've not had a great influence. But there's something in the genes there. Um, yeah. But you know, I think again coming from where we came from where kind of sport was a pre- prerequisite or a way of life kind of set us up on our you know my, my parents played tennis uh and it was kind of recreational stuff really more than anything mm-hmm. but an integral part of the family and we connected into into those worlds enough um but just through school never at a very high level members of tennis clubs and you know did bits of swimming but and, and nothing right. more than that really but my, my my mother's probably had a greater influence um looking at me I, I'm I'm more similar to her in the way that I turn up in the world and the way I think and the way I do what I do um because of the, the kind of the work that she does and how I now do the work that I do
1: interesting that that both are involved in helping people and yeah. have been and, and and that that's what you you're good at as well they um
0: well, so anyway, let, let, let me jump in there in because I'm a, I think you either do what your parents do or you do the very opposite. That's kind of and I know it's not as simplistic as that, um, but my, my brother's a, um, a professor in social psychology um, and my two sisters are occupational therapists and work in mental health. So, you know, the whole family are related to people development and supporting of psychology of individuals in many ways.
1: All right. <laughs> the fact The fact that my father was a travel agent and my mother was a receptionist <laughs> in a doctor's surgery probably uh, probably undermines your argument a little bit, but anyway, never mind the, um well
0: I think you do the same or you do the opposite I don't
1: know <laughs> Well, I, yeah no, I don't know. They, uh, there's I don't no, know. There's, that's another podcast they so you did you you did your you did your BTech that would have been local um where was the, where was the university
0: The university was Newcastle, so I went to um Northumbria um which was the, back in the day there there were universities and the, they they changed from polytechnics i think but the yeah. the idea is to, and what was uh fantastic for me is actually to come off a vocational qualification and get into a um course there weren't that many sports degrees out there at that particular time but this that was one of the the best or it was a renowned university it had a really good you know sort of credibility so i, I was really pleased to get onto a really uh good course which was it was called sports study so it had a kind of a science background to it as well as a leadership and a management and the coaching kind of flavor to it so it's still mm. quite generic which really suited me
1: and were you continuing to play sport and were you also volunteering in any way maybe at that time
0: yeah so i um it, it, it came at an interesting time really because i think that's for me the start of your um more formalized career i guess you've got to start thinking about you know directions what do you do where do you go so i was picking up bits of work uh doing i, I did a lot of football coaching to kind of earn money uh worked in sort of youth services and earned bits of money so working with people in ed- education and youth was something that i was uh earning bits of money at um i carried on into university though uh, in the same kind of vein of just wanting to explore, play sport and, you know, the course exposed me, I guess, to a number of different avenues because you do your kind of coaching qualifications alongside the degree. So I did coaching qualifications in squash and basketball and football and rugby and others, you know, at a basic level. So I got a real broad exposure. But again, what, what I found both through the course, but actually the avenue to connect with people and meet people was to join clubs. And, you know, so I played for the university in football and um, never never had aspirations to really drive to the to the first team. But I wanted to play because I wanted to connect with people and I wanted to really enjoy what I do. And the competition wasn't the be all and end all. It was the the actual enough competition, but also the environment and the context was really significant. that stage.
1: OK, so let's assume that you came out with first class honours and our modesty will prevent you from telling me that's right or wrong. They. And interesting that you, you know you clearly had, you know this this philosophy of do what you're good at and enjoy that you were talking about earlier. You, you know you were doing well because it's there's, there's quite quite focused and it's all following down the same sort of tram tracks. So what what um, when you left uh, when you left uni, what um, what happened next? I um I didn't
0: come out with a first class honours. I came out with a two two. But again, for me, that was um,
1: a de- a Desmond, as they say. In Desmond time. Tutu.
0: I didn't want to say that, but yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but for me, it was about coming out, you know, doing doing what you can do to the best of your ability. And you know, those university days for me were also about, you know, it sounds a little bit twee, but you know, finding out who you are and enjoying yourself and exploring the world, you know, and making new friends and connections. But you know, I guess what was dripping out of that for me was, well, two things, is that I've got to, um, I wanted to go away and explore the world and travel um, and enjoy exploring, because I think I've I've kind of an adventurous gene within me, and and I have that to this day, you know, one of the challenges that I have to this day is to try and visit new places or travel and work abroad once a year, because I think the world is, back then was quite a small place, but now it feels such a smaller place, sorry, back then it was quite a big place, now it feels so much but i went and traveled the world i went back to south africa to see what that was like because i would never actually kind of existed there as uh, as an adult so i went back to south africa traveled lived there got offered to work there um and i i went back then and things didn't quite work out as i was promised but i used the sport vehicle to connect with people but i met some interesting individuals and had a good experience and then i I did the old travelling and experience in sport across the world. Went to Australia, New Zealand, and I, and actually part of my focus again. And as I'm sharing this, I feel like I wander a little bit in what I do, but actually underpinning that, there's quite a focus and quite a, a purpose to what I do. And back then, I travelled the world, but I ended up in um, on Vancouver Island where I worked at school for six months and. Uh, it was a, an international boarding school, and I became a, a housemaster and taught sport. Uh, and then I worked at the Commonwealth Games, which were in the uh, Island. The word that's in my mind here, just and just,
1: you know, building up the journey, as it were, one is, I think you're resilient, yeah. whether, you, whether you see it or not. And two, because of all the things that have happened that you've described, you know i don't know whether you do back yourself but you could and you should because you know you you have been more than a survivor you know you survived you survived education because you had to work hard and then as you found do what you enjoy and what you're good at and those are skills you can you can do those anywhere they um what what was your um you know, what was your take on South Africa as a
2: yeah.
1: I mean I mean you you've got an inside lens, sort of, because you know, um you are what you are, but you you hadn't been for years and then you what what did you feel? Did you feel you know, my heart's pulling me here, or did you feel like oh, a tourist or
0: or what? What good great question actually and um, It was a real purposeful thing at the end of university to go back there um i got promised to go back there with a job of uh working in sport and i went back there because i also had a my grandma was still alive then and i went back and used her as a kind of a base to start off with how did i feel well i felt really let down by the fact that what was promised me didn't come to fruition but I, i i needed to make a go of it and it was uh, something that I wanted to go and really experience and it was a real um it was a really hard time to go because I recognized you know I the story that I I would tell I was you know I would be in my place where I was staying and it, it, it had you know six security systems it would have razor wire around it um you know we'd have armed response units because of the environment that we lived in yet it was such a brilliant and beautiful country in that sense but had so much difficulty to it so i remember sitting there to this day you know thinking god the the kind of the conflict that was going on within me and within the country actually i was really experiencing that so I, I wanted to go and live it and see it and i felt it and the 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 security and the uncertainty of you know driving down the road and maybe having something stolen from your car um my grandparents were were religious and they used to go to church on a on a uh sunday morning but my my grandmother's partner she had previously more recently married used to have to stand outside the church with his gun to protect all the cars and that just that whole idea of the security and the uncertainty and the unsafety and that you had to protect your, your cars outside church just didn't sit comfortably and I played football, you know, again, I used football. I played football for Vicks University, which was the big university in Johannesburg, you know, and that was my way back into connecting with people. And I didn't know anybody, but I needed to, you know, and this is part of why sport is such a great vehicle to connect people and have a common interest. But what really, again, sits with me to this day is I used to go and play football and then instead of people handing in their wallets and stuff and collecting them, you know, they're like valuables when we used to go out on the pitch so they didn't get stolen. You know, people used to hand their guns in and I just thought, oh gosh, that never just sat very comfortably with me that people I was playing football with used to put their guns in as valuables. And just that whole idea of the security just didn't sit comfortably with
2: me. But yeah, it was such a powerful, beautiful place.
1: You describe it really well. I've been twice. And, you know, the word fragile as a country comes to me and it was, you know, we travelled we travelled in bubbles. We travelled in an aeroplane bubble, a car bubble to the lodge. Bubbles whenever we went out yeah. into, you know. I, so I, you know, I, uh, a taxi driver took us to the place where uh, um, Reva Steven camp sadly yeah. was yeah. murdered by Prestorius all that razor wire and all that, you know. I, I, yeah. Just beautiful, beautiful country, but just on eggshells, and so sad. Yeah. Well, I've been the, back,
0: um, and I've been back since into the to Cape Town, where you can probably fly in and fly out and use it as a as a um, you know more of a tourist. You know, you you said where you were a tourist or how, but it felt you know you you can see the beauty of the country, and it's got so much lovely stuff going for it. Yeah. But yeah, it just feels very fragile. I think it's a nice yeah. word
1: you know the conversation is evocative for me is triggering some thoughts as well I never I never um had a gap year I um because I was five years at university but my son also attended Newcastle University and had a gap year and we get a WhatsApp message when he's arrived in Fiji dad have just been down onto the beach and had a game of touch rugby with the boys and I was like Keep playing. I'm coming on the next flight. You know, yeah, it's, no, yeah, yeah.
0: that's what it's about.
1: <laughs> but well, it, it, it is in that you know, have boots, will travel, right? The yeah. um, uh, and and you did that. So anyway, but all good things have to come to an end. You've done your years around the world, yeah, and you come back and thinking, is the uh, is the future, Mrs. Levine, on the
0: scene at this stage, or are you still? No, um, no well, I, I, I guess I'm I'm early mid twenty. 20s here came back and got a job working in uh again either what i knew what i could get a job as because you know you have to start your career and i i started on the, the journey working in the university um and i ironically going full circle i started t- teaching on the on the on the kind of the btech that i actually was on in the early days uh, are you back day. in yorkshire here yeah yeah so i came back to yorkshire came back to to where i live um, as a base, and I've kind of stayed there because I'm very lucky where I live. I, I think what what going away has really taught me and, and opened my eyes to is how lucky I am in where I where I was brought up, not born, but where I brought up in the north of England. I'm very lucky here. It's really central, it's beautiful, it's got lots of stuff going for it. And um, so I got a job working in the local college, and I again was lucky enough or opportune enough to fall on my feet in in setting up and being part of, of setting up a a football education program. So back in the days where they were trying to bring sport programs and education together and see how they might fit and work, and uh, and I set up a in, a, in a, a local college here which had really poor facilities, but the first idea of bringing young lads in that wanted that weren't were kind of a bit disenfranchised from from education, but really loved their sport and how we could blend the two together and give them a sport experience, but also help them learn along the way. So, but they,
1: I mean, it's like early days, what people talk about now is sport for development, isn't it? They, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sport, is it? So, okay, so, again, ahead of your time, Mr. Levine, if I may be so bold. Well, do
0: you know what, the, Along <laughs> alongside that, and I, I feel more comfortable saying that about ahead of my time, but alongside of this, um, on and off throughout university and um, and through into the early parts of my formal career, though, I, I, had a fo- I had a football coaching business, which I I set up. So I worked for the local authority, and I think this is really important for, for many people listening in on their sport journeys, that, you know, I, I put the hard yards in, I worked for the local authority on, you know, pounds per hour, running lots of football coaching sessions, you know, through the cold nights and the, the deepest, darkest winters kind of stuff. And it was tough. Um, and I got to a stage where I thought, well, actually, I could do it bigger and better than the the local authority could. So I, I left the local authority and set up my own coaching business. And it was called Star. We called it. It was called Sports Teaching and Recreation. And we called it Star. Um, and it was based on football, but it became quite multi-sports. And we advertised once on the first kind of session that we set up, and we never advertised again since because. Who's we? Sorry. Um, another guy who worked in the local authority with me actually so there was two of us and I just um, worked with him so we, we were like a bit of a double act but the thing which I've come to realise where I was kind of before my time is yes advertised just once but people just kept coming back and why did they kept coming back because we played games for understanding we had fun we let them do what they wanted to do but with a real purposeful structure around it and we played you know, I, I say to this day that the kids came because they wanted to play football. So we let them play football, but we taught them through the football. and do what we as practitioners wanted to do. We were quite participantly. And we started off with kids that were three-year-old, two-and-a-half, three, that ran around in nappies right the way through to 15, 16-year-olds.
1: They, and was there anything formal in the education that you were doing? It, or it was but it was more like social education and you know developing the person and teamship and well
0: i i think looking back on it i would say yes but there was nothing formal in it in terms of when i did it you know we we had a curriculum and we followed it people loved what they did and they kept coming back for more quite simply looking back that I guess my philosophy was from day one, my, su- my success measure was, if people enjoy it enough this week and then come back for more next week, they'll learn. And they did. And they got better. You know, because the environment and the structure uh, allowed them to feel safe, to feel secure, to have fun, to enjoy themselves and to practice technical aspects of the sports that we did.
1: So the Dave Levine Soccer Schools, this is what we'd be calling them these days, right? Yeah. yeah. Was the... Did you have a number of outlets? Did you grow it across the northeast, or was it just a local we, one?
0: We had we had at one stage we had about four outlets. But again, I was in my early days of kind of running these businesses, and uh, we had four outlets. And it sounds a bit sort of self centered here, but I think what people began to realise is about it was about the quality of the delivery and the environments that we create. And at that stage, I wasn't aware of how to get others to deliver it on that kind of way. When I did give it all up, I, I kind of passed it on to the two young people that ran it with us and within six months it had fallen away and we'd lost it all. You know, they were buying into the environments that the coaches create and two people that I passed it on to, it's it kind of my legacy, didn't quite run it in the same way, it didn't kind of put the same energy to it and it, it drifted. Right.
1: And why did you pass it on?
0: So I passed it on because I had family came along then, I had a family, uh, I'd also been doing this for about fifteen years, sort of evenings, weekends, school holidays, um, and my career changed a different path really, and I needed to get a different balance. And I think one of the things I've also learned along the way, in a lot of my training and experience, is also this stuff about getting, getting a, a balance to be able to to perform. And so I chose the different direction at that stage, um, both family-wise, but also for my career.
1: But also, I guess families come along you need stability on the other hand so that because you're now you're now a father um yeah so what did what did you do
0: well the coaching business was never never going to be enough for me to really live on or retire on so i always had other things going on in behind My, my main career sort of change at that stage was to leave to purposefully move out of a career in sport and i went and worked in the large corporate world of pharmaceutical sales and utilities and big business where whoa whoa
1: whoa 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 this is the bloke who said do what you're good at and 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 do what you enjoy just square that one off for me
0: the the purposefulness of that was um i needed to go and see what it was like Um, and i think what what i came back to is actually um it stretched me it exposed me to some new learning and development opportunity um, I don't know that I would have called it back then, but I was curious to go and work in a world where I might be exposed to a lot of challenge. And, and I, I always used to say I'd never go working in sales. Sales was a dirty word for me back then. And, you know, and I think I probably ended up in that, the hardest, toughest sales environment possible where I was going to speak to doctors and consultants and you got to speak to them for 10 minutes if you were lucky a year. you know, And it was a dreadfully hard, tough environment, but I learned loads. But coming back to your point about why moving away from sport maybe or, you know, doing what you're good at, I I, I, I fell out of love with the education system because of the bureaucracy that came into it. And I felt I was losing doing what I wanted to do in terms of helping individuals get better at what they do, as opposed to filling in lots of paper and the bureaucracy. And I felt uh, my values didn't align.
1: So uh, you went from one bureaucratic system. (laughs) so uh, I'm guessing here right but I'm going to use the phrase how long did you stick with farmer sales and what were the conclusions you came to
0: I stayed in farmer sales for uh, just short of two years and then I I moved on to utility sales and setting up a sales force for um, a big utilities company where they brought me in to try and set something up and then they realised that they didn't know what they were doing and they were they were not giving me the tools to enable me to do what I knew was right um, or use my skill sets. So I, I stayed in that world probably for about just just over two and a half years. And the conclusions I came to is that, and I use this phrase really honestly, is that I probably l- learned the most I've ever learned probably, um, but I hated it the most is it
1: learning from your mistakes would that be fair or is that was it a mistake
0: i I don't think it was a mistake the the environment wasn't what i wanted um and and i had compromised what i enjoy doing you know and but i learned a lot about sales a a lot about marketing about how to relate to people and the importance of it or not because those environments didn't really encourage that or allow that in my mind i learned a lot about leadership and management in terms of you know how to engage people and get people to buy in. Um and and it was a I, I use this word carefully, but it also provided a playground for me to learn in and develop in. And alongside of that, I was doing a lot of um personal development courses myself. So I did coaching, uh sorry, I did a counseling and a group development qualification just to kind of also learn a bit about myself. And I think this is a bit of the flavor that I link back to my mother, you know, in terms of the work that she does and how she does it. And I got interested mm. in that. I don't know it was learning from mistakes, but I could also see how how things could go badly wrong.
1: Mm. Are we still playing any sport here, or are you still coaching in any shape or form? Or yeah,
0: nothing? a bit of coaching. I ended up coaching football, uh, an open age team, in a sort of semi professional environment for a couple of years, and I, and then I, I was playing regular local football, Saturday and Sunday football for enjoyment and cricket.
1: How were you juggling that with being you know so we're on the road knocking on doctors' surgeries' doors or whatever yeah the, exactly. and you're doing a bit of coaching how how we um how did Mrs. Levine feel about all this?
0: Uh, so Mrs. Levine came along on that sort of stage, um
1: so she knew what she was getting
0: yeah she 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 did <laughs> and good. and and the children were just sort of young there, but I think that's that sort of started to back off, and the story I actually tell to sort of moving it on is um. I um I left that job with no job to go to, um so I I came out of the utilities firm and I had no job to go to because I was so unhappy with what was happening to me and the environment I was in that I I handed my notice in with nothing to go to.
1: Um, what did you What did you feel was happening to you? Was it Was it um, challenging your values or your, or or what?
0: It was yeah, completely compromising me. I, I was my values were being. Uh, you yeah, compromise probably was the best word, you know, in terms of what was being, again, probably that congruence, what was being said and what was being done weren't the lines. You mean can, you, can you give us an example? Well, I think the, the, the company that I was in were wanting us to set up a, a, a sales kind of team, and the, the sales team was to go in and speak to solicitors, actually. So when solicitors do conveyancing searches for buying and selling of properties and houses, they need information from utilities companies. And the utilities company that I had was really, had absolutely excellent information. So our job was to sell it into solicitors, which was quite a viable option actually at the moment, because it was better than local authority information. But actually the environment and the context was um, quite bullying, it was quite aggressive. They were uh, setting targets which were unrealistic. we were we were asking for resources. There was a colleague of mine who was alongside me to do this. We were asking for information, resources which wasn't being provided because they didn't understand the process, the detail and the information that was needed. So mm-hmm. it was a, a, a mismatch, really. And I think me being true to myself is, you know, and, and I learned this also in the pharmaceutical industries that talked about um a concept of the golden handcuffs, where people were getting paid well and now having all the nice trappings and all the nice freebies and whatever came along with it with the job but were really deeply unhappy in what they were doing and for me what was really more important is are you better off getting paid reasonably well and doing all right but being deeply unhappy or being really happy and maybe maybe earning a little less money but actually being able to flourish in what you do
1: and a difficult decision to come to on your own as an individual but when you've got a young family I mean, that, took, that took that probably took a bit of balls and a bit of uh good communication with mrs levine
0: i, I do i do uh recall her saying uh, i won't swear but she just recall you know don't ever do that again to me you know but i think there's something about the, the drive of your values or what we believe in and your purpose mm. you know and i think mm. without knowing the words maybe around that so much but you know i think. It, I learned there that if you sign up, if you're signing up to something, you're more likely to go and deliver on it. And if you're not signed up to it and you don't believe in it, you're less likely to to give mm-hmm. it your energy. And you know, maybe playing back to that resilience, I, I've got an entrepreneurial spirit in me. You know, and a, a freedom in me. And I think corporate nature there felt constraining. Um, mm-hmm. But I also have in the back of me that entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, uh, and I, I use this. A lot in the work that I do and I I have to practice what I preach is that I ask myself the question you know how would I feel if I never gave it a go working for myself or Mm. working in the sport industry or whatever and I often ask that and I would never want to have any regrets of not having done no so
1: so how long were you you know you left with nothing to go to how long were you left with nothing to go to what what was the next part
0: so I left, nothing to go to. I was unemployed probably for about six to eight months um, on the dole, which is not a lovely experience, but an important one. And I, in that in that reflective time, probably hit quite a low time, but called back onto my principles and values around. Well, in that time, I actually me and them and the and my wife ended up having to live. Back at my my parents' house for a short period of time, which was not very pleasant, but you know needs must. Um, and I called back on that idea. You know, now who are you, Dave? What are you about? What really floats your boat? You know, what are you going to give your heart and soul to? And what kept coming back to me was sport. Really excited me. I, I loved the the idea of working in sport, because um, that's what I have done bits of uh, and enjoyed. And I think more more. Deeper, actually, what came out was I needed to work with people. I got a job back in sport developing coaching qualifications. Because, uh, that was the first job that had "sand sport" in the title, but I was sat behind a computer writing coaching qualifications, which was brilliant because it got me back into it. Got me into the industry, but I realised after eighteen months, two years, that I wasn't working with people enough. I was working with computers and systems um, and frustrated not frustrated i needed to move through that and move towards you know what would make uh my career and my job and my day-to-day life
1: more flourishing and fulfilling was this sports
0: coach uk or yeah so i i i worked my, my, my qualification job was with uh first for sport qualifications writing qualifications which was then the sister company of uh, sports coach uk and then. Uh, over time i managed to find a way to move from one of the sister companies to the other
1: right okay so yeah, so as you as you moved away from the laptop or the computer yeah. maybe the desktop it, the, yeah. um, what was the work you were doing that made you feel better because you were working with more people
0: um you know, to, to this day, I, I tell a, a, an interesting story because um, when, I, when I was in the pharmaceutical world, um, I used to have to drive around the outskirts of Leeds and, and I used to drive up and down a road called Cardigan Road in Leeds. And I used to see a sign on the wall and I thought, I wonder what that job is and I wonder what that organisation is. Um, and I never knew what the, the relevance of that was. But then five years later, um, I managed to get a job working for that organisation that I always wondered what it was. Um, and, I, and that's happened to me two or three times in my career in terms of seeing something out there and wondering. And therefore, I guess subconsciously, unconsciously, there's something about drawing me towards it or finding a way to, to make that happen. And I, I used to be dri- driving past the organisation, which was Sports Coach UK. And so that the sister company was the qualifications company, and I ended up getting a job there working with governing bodies, helping them with their systems their procedures their people their training and, and really engaging with the organizations to help them improve what they do which for me was, was that, I mean so I was that
1: so was that outward facing you were going into the ngBs and yeah. and and that's how you got your people bit
0: yeah so I was working with lead officers in governing bodies I worked with big organizations like the well I say not organizations because I work with sports at that stage so I was working with football and cricket would be union tennis equestrian and um, all those big sports because I was working with those sports across the, the four home countries as well and um, so right. the governing bodies within the home countries which really gave me a feel of going out and being using my kind of coaching skills that I'd learned but also my you know I I know to this day I've got quite a consultative style um, and a facilitative style and I think that really played to my strengths working in that environment.
1: Hey, so, so I'm hearing you know there's, there's a set of weighing scales here right yeah yeah and i've got um entrepreneurial flair
2: yeah
1: right and i've got but the the, the opposite to that is working in an organization yeah and the other one is working in sport and yeah. you know well we've had the farmer and the utilities and the yeah. and here we are back in sport the so there is something in this and it's a three-dimensional set yeah. of weighing scales almost because there's, there's the family in this as well and yeah and Dave the pain isn't there? so so here we've here we're in sport so that's a positive yeah but we're working in a in a larger organization sports coach uk which we now know as uh uk coaching obviously The yeah. um but that came to an end uh, w- what was that about
0: about twelve or so years ago now, um, my uh, I guess sport was going through lots of changes. There was lots of funding cuts, not just across sport but across many organisations, and sport was under a lot of pressure. Yeah. I uh, at Sports Coach UK, we had a around that you know, probably two or three years before I left, we had a a new chief executive, which was having to navigate a lot of the uh, coaching sport landscapes and the funding cuts and so on. My my job changed. Uh, I managed to, uh, the the chief exec at the time was uh, Pat Duffy, and he brought in a a kind of a philosophy about really trying to grow the people within the organisation and how do we bring in a coaching culture? And that really, really played to my interest, the idea of a coaching Mm. culture and how we could take the principles of what was of sport and coaching and how we were working with external bodies and how we could really play to it internally and bringing those sporting principles into a business and I just thought wow this just sounds brilliant and I applied for a new role which was set up which was the learning and development manager so it still felt uh, very similar to in, in the sense of working in sport working in a coaching organization but it, it became a, a an internal kind of position more so in terms of working with our staff the internal staff and unfortunately as funding cuts come and I, I, I start to say survived or I lived through Uh, I think it was two two restructures as a learning and development manager. But my time came, as soon as I got the job, I think I was in the job for about 18 months, and it was a very difficult job to try and navigate, because the organisation never had such a role, and to really invest in it. And I got made redundant about 12 years ago. Saying that, I'm a a positive kind of person, and I look back on it quite favourably, in a sense of that actually, I was ready to kind of fly again. And I needed to kind of fulfill and touch on my uh, entrepreneurial spirit that was buzzing around I think, inside of me, and I'd always asked I'd always had that question again, Dave, how would you feel, or what, would you regret it if you never had worked for yourself? So at that time, the timing was right there, So, yes I got
1: well. so Mrs. Levine had said to you previously and is on the record, yeah. saying, do not do that to me again. Now this isn't your fault that you've been made redundant, and it's, it's you know it's not you that's been it's not you that's redundant, it's the job. And I, sure. you always, right? Um, so, it, you know, and I've got these weighing scales rattling like mad here um, yeah, yeah. So go on.
0: Well, it wasn't me that was leaving the job. The job was no, no, rid no. of me. So and that, you pick yeah. up a, a key point there, I guess. The situation was quite drastic because the day that my redundancy letter dropped on the mat was the, uh, t- to the day, was the day that we had our third child as well. So I had three children uh, and a redundancy letter and, and kind of, in essence, no job to go to or to do. So it was quite a, a tricky time in the family.
1: Did you, did you know the redundancy was coming or was the letter the first you knew of it?
0: Um, I'd gone through a, a kind of the six months or so, so process, so, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think, to, you know, even to this day, I was prepared for it. So I was I was working ideas up, but setting up your own business or trying to find another job is tricky. You were under a bit of pressure there.
1: We're back to oh. some resilience again, aren't we?
0: They Oh, ma- M- a massive amounts of pressure. And, uh, you know, I, I, the point that's really key for me, though, is however prepared I was for the redundancy, and I was prepared enough, it still really shook me the day the letter dropped in the mat. And I read it and I thought, wow. It's for real then. It's for real. Yeah. You know, it really <laughs> struck me. But that was the time where I said, you know, do you find another job and go with what's, safer safe fish or do you give it a go and set up you know continue to try and build what you've got and really grow that and i threw my energy and my eggs in the basket and so all right come on and let's let's try and give it a go and it was a pretty hair-raising time because because we've got three kids the car that we had wasn't big enough so that the small redundancy payout that i had went on having to buy a second-hand car to fit us all in so i had no backstop as it were in terms of finances it was a case of right off we go and my world had shrunk because i'd also become quite an internal facing practitioner you know and I, to this day i recall actually you know one of my biggest learnings is the importance of your network and how i work with that and the relationships around that and mine had really shrunk mm-hmm. so it took me a heck of a long time to go back out there and build that and also you know relationships are really key to the way i work and I. I um, I think relationships take time to build, and I, I, I was in a really difficult place there because I didn't
2: have the time
1: actually mm.
2: that I needed
1: it. So, you know, were you doing this on your own? Did you have some some go-to people that you could say, look, you know, I'm in the doo dos here, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, what, you know, was there any? Did you have any sounding boards, or did you just do it on on your own steam?
0: Um, I, I, I have lots of sounding boards, informal sounding boards, probably. It felt quite lonely to start with, I guess, because I had a big weight on my shoulders. And responsibility. Oh, a huge responsibility, yeah. You know, and I've never really recognised that. But, and I don't like using the word but, um, it did also give me a really enormous learning experience of feeling the pressure. You know, and i think it was important for me to feel the pressure and feel what it was like to be under that responsibility and pressure because i think that also really feeds the learning but also fe- feeds the resistance and feeds my purpose that makes sense um no no, so, no. I, so i did actually really work through that and understand my resilience thresholds and actually when when the bank account hasn't got much money and our know, work's not coming in how do i manage that and, to this day Ian, up, if i'm honest i don't think you're ever there i think i still think about no, I, it work it through and you know call on that
1: so that's interesting then so so we're now talking about founding this is the early days of the summit partnership right yeah yeah let, let, let's have a look at two of those words then you know summit means that you get to the top and yet you've just said i don't think you ever really get there ian so well, let's have uh, question in two parts let's have a bit about why summit then and and unpack why the word partnership's also important in there
2: yeah
0: um i thought long and hard about this actually and i you know i'm i'm an ideas person actually i'm quite good at that when you work for yourself you've got to come up with the ideas but you've also got to bring them to fruition and make them come to life so that's one Mm -hmm. of the journeys so i spent lots of time thinking about Know, what i could do and how i could do it and i think that's for me that's the exciting easy bit um but i did spend a lot of time thinking about the name and i didn't just pick the name somebody else had it or it rolled off that it, it needed to mean something to me what's fallen out of all of the work that i do and i think is a kind of even coming back to that little shield maybe that underpins what i do and how i do it is you know summit's got two meanings here has not it it's about also it's Reaching the top of whatever, and I, I define it reaching your top, whatever that may be. Okay,
1: so you, so there's your, doesn't matter what the football result was,
0: indeed. So it, it's about yours, it's not about mine or anything. It's about actually aspiring, being ambitious, being optimistic about what you can achieve, fulfilling your potential kind of summit for you. Summit's also about bringing people together.
1: Oh, as in a summit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, of course. As in a summit, you could also bring people together, which is also kind of plays true to my, my philosophy and values because I like to bring people together. I think that's what takes on the journey. And then partnership is look, my wife is a partner in the, the partnership, as it were. But actually, I, my approach to the work I do through the summit partnership, and I hope the people that I work with would, you know, pay testament to this, is that. I don't don't do two people i work with them so i work in partnership with them, and that, that's really important to me that i won't come along and tell you what to do and how to do it i'll come and sit alongside you and let's do it together and therefore partnership real paints a picture a real solid picture and hopefully comes across in the way that i portray it and the way that i work is that i do things with and alongside
1: hmm. well i think i can vouch for that um the so but the summit partnership clearly isn't enough because you've decided in the last couple of years (laughs) to set up sports stories they um what was it that triggered that and you know and what's your reflection on how that's going now
2: um i've worked really hard
1: to
0: develop the summit partnership you know and keep it going and and keep the right balance in terms of my life and what drives me and where all my energies are what, what's really important for me is that I wouldn't want the summit partnership and my work to be really, really, really successful at the detriment of other aspects of my life. I'd like it to be successful in the balance with the other aspects of my life. And I think that's really important for me. And I, I've worked, you know, some people would say, you know, if you set up on your own, if you can get past the three years or so, now, you've, you've done really well, because that's when you've actually cracked it or you've got a bit of a pattern. So I feel really... Um, nourished, fulfilled, pleased uh, with the fact that I've managed to navigate the Summit Partnership as far and keep it going in its own right. But what I, what I also have recognised, is, and this is probably giving more of me away, is that I've never really developed the Summit Partnership in terms of its brand and its awareness. And I, I don't sell me, I sell other people. And, and I think it's time to also shout about me a little bit more you know, in terms of what I do. So I've helped other people grow their brands. And that's what I mean is I've worked for other people as well. And so what came along here is to give it a go of developing uh, my own brand rather than other people's. And that's where I've got the summit partnership, which I can build, but uh, what what's really piqued my interest, I think over the last four or five years, if I go back that far, is I feel very lucky in what I do. And yes, I've worked hard to get to it, but I'm lucky in a sense that I get to speak to so many different people and get an insight into their worlds. And there's, there's loads of great research and evidence to say, you know, as a coach and as a developer of others, you know, you you reap a lot of the benefits yourself. You're not just helping others, you're you're learning yourself. And and in hearing other people's stories, I'm thinking, wow, I'm so privileged and lucky. I'm learning and developing as well as giving to others. I thought, well, I wonder if we could, spread that somewhat and actually how people can share their stories can be so beneficial to so many more and then i was on a program uh, doing some of my own personal development which i'm really keen to make sure I, I practice again what i preach to be able to fulfill my needs but help others and somebody once said to me and they hit the nail on the head they said dave you're playing in the um you're playing in the little league at the minute you really want to be playing in the big league and i said well, and we, we played with the idea and the the big league is i'm really passionate about what i do and i'm really convinced and and i could sell that i know that actually this can really make a difference to people's worlds the idea of sports but actually the stories and the principles because so many people like the idea of sport but there's so much learning that can get from within it from hearing others Not, not to copy but to make them think and to learn so sports stories sort of fell out of that idea is that actually could I start capturing more stories and more development opportunities for more people on a bigger scale? Because then I'm not just playing in the little league, I'm actually impacting and influencing and supporting and developing so many more people. And my question to myself was, Dave, if, if I didn't give it a go and grow it, um, would I have a regret? And I, I would, and that's why well. I'm I'm on the journey. And I, I, I want to have a greater impact that I'm already having, but you know, I've enjoyed it. It's hard work. I, I do see the fruits of the labour that I'm putting in. I want to continue
1: on that thing. Hey, well, Dee Levine, entrepreneur, you've got to give it a bash, haven't you? The, uh, that's, that's how it is. So you are the common denominator in all of the sports stories. Give us a couple of things that have informed and influenced you that you've learned from the sports stories that you've heard i.e. name names if you wish, but if, it, oh, I've never thought about that. Or you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do that myself. Or what were the things that made you sort of sit up and go, wow, boom, light bulb.
0: I've worked in this field a long time in terms of development. And I don't know, I don't know that I've had loads of standout light bulbs from all of the conversations, if I'm honest. Uh, but I've had so many little, little gems and little nuggets. And, and what I love about it is actually the, sometimes the affirmation that it brings and the, the confirmation that actually what I'm doing or what I see in other people's worlds is, is, is true, it's good, it's comforting. In terms of my process, what the stories have brought, is, is they've challenged me. I, I've had to learn something new, so I've gone out there. And so that's the learning in it for me a lot of the time is to actually doing the conversations, practicing the listening, asking the the, hopefully the right questions, getting out of my own way in terms of being my own self-critic, has been part of the journey, which has been some of my biggest learning. Uh, And I still to this day have a wobble around that. And I think that's healthy, you know, and understanding that uh, it it matters if you've got that, you know, and so my self-talk the, the, the conversations have provided that then also you know coming to the actual conversations themselves I've spoken to a number of people who I know and I've worked with you know so I, I kind of know their stories and what the learning I've taken out of those conversations is you never truly know somebody because I was, I was just going to say
1: those. that, that there's, these are stories I know but
0: yeah
1: you probably didn't
0: well or, or I, I hear bits that I know but then, okay. by it challenges me in terms of the questions and actually the engagement. You go a bit deeper. You hear
1: the stuff on the surface, don't you? The,
0: yeah. Um, and th- and that's a great learning for me around actually how often do we really get to know somebody, or what is the value of really getting to know somebody? And um, both for the listener, but also for the teller of their stories, because a number of people, and you know, and probably testament to that today is this is quite cathartic experience sharing my story it's cathartic it's helpful it's made me reflect i've probably said things which i didn't think i would but also um things that i planned i've not said so trusting that approach has been really really valuable and that's what i've got from some of the people that i've listened to and then also you know the more profile guests that i've had on um you know seeing them for who they are their authenticity and actually recognizing that we all have to work quite hard and we've all had not that linear journey you know it's all gone through our own various ups and downs and actually some of the principles some of the strategies people have learned and used really resonate with me but others don't and that's all right you know and and i think that's what's been so brilliant about this there's been something in every conversation but there's been some bits which don't resonate with me but without me engaging in it.
1: I don't know no. so uh, we're going to wrap this up with two quotes dave levine uh one quote what's the quote that somebody else has said that you know is one of your go-tos and the other quote using your phrase self-talk is what would the dave levine of today say to the dave levine who probably left Northumbria
0: University? Um, I'm, I'm going to break the rules a little bit here because there's a couple of people whose there's loads of quotes out there, and I really like quotes because they get me thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a couple of quotes which I go to often, but I, I look at them all day. I look, look at quotes all day, every day. A quote that really resonates with me and I share it, and it's probably it's, it's a, a well trodden one. It's one by Theodore Roosevelt, and it's you know, nobody cares how much you know until. They know how much you care. And I think it's just that simple that. Um, but for me, that's the foundation of the work that I do. I think this is also about the sports story stuff, you know, it's about caring about others because then they'll listen to what you've got to say, you know, and and it's a two-way kind of relationship. So that's that's really powerful for me. I, I also like a lot of the, the Nelson Mandela ones for obvious reasons because of my kind of connection with South Africa and stuff on that and the difference that he's made. I'm not going to name any quotes in particular, but I just think some of the gems and what he stands for, and the resilience, and how he treats people, um, but is actually really quite purposeful and driven, is, is is fabulous. And then the last quote I'm going to share, but it, and it, it just always sticks with me, is by Maya Angelou, and it was, you know, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel, you know, and I think. Going back over my story and over the, the many years as a coach, but also being coached or being mentored or being taught in schools, I remember the people that made me feel like I could do it, you know, that believed in me, that had optimism, you know, that cared for me and all of those things. So I think that's the foundation to both what I'm trying to create, but actually all the work that I do. Is, that's what's really helped me on the way.
1: I don't know why, but I, well, I do know why, but I, you know, I. Just listening to you there in summary, I mean, I feel quite emotional about that because there's it's a very authentic Dave Levine that's talking to me and, and you know, to sort of paraphrase Roosevelt in conclusion, I know you know a lot, but perhaps more importantly, I know how much you care about the people you work with and our sector and and i can't think of a better way to end this other than to say dave levine thank you very much it has been a genuine privilege and a pleasure good man take the rest of the day off
0: it's important for me to thank you as well Ian. i think because look i i feel quite emotional and i'm i'm you know this is what i I want from this Uh, i do really care um and I, i think what we've got here is something that I really want to try and grow and flourish to really help many people. So, you know, thank you for stepping out and offering to do this for me. You know, it's been in the back of my mind, but it's important that I share my journey and I, I want to because. I know I've come to realize I've got lots to offer, as everybody has, actually, and that's the avenue that we're trying to create. You know, you being a guest earlier on in, in the series, you know, it's been really important, as is every guest, they've all had something to offer. I want to bring more of me to to this, and I will do as I go forward here you know I've got aspirations to to bring different insights um but I want it to be uncomfortably comfortable as well, so it challenges people to really think because I think we've got so much to offer so you know on that note, just want to thank you for for taking the time out of your your schedule as well um and let's maybe do this again we've we've, we've labeled one or two of the podcasts which we could could do and dig a little bit deeper but you know on today thanks for asking some really great questions and helping me share share my sports story and, and, and broad. Well there you have it sports story of Dave Levine my very good self. Now it does feel a little bit strange uh, wrapping up a, a podcast about yourself and reflecting on it but there are a couple of things which I wanted to just highlight and bring to light. I, I covered a little bit around my philosophy my values and some of the key attributes and strengths and I would just like to have, share a really warm thanks and a, a very big appreciation to Mr. Ian Braid for steering me through the conversation and asking some great questions just to help me think and articulate my story. So thanks a lot, Ian. I really appreciate that. Now, in terms of my philosophy, values and key attributes, they really dripped out, I thought, quite strongly in terms of actually my values being fairness, authenticity, hard work and congruence. My philosophy being very much around you know playing to your strengths and enjoying what you do and then some of the key attributes and strengths of mine being resilient and finding a way and also good enough and actually how that's really played out throughout my life and actually been informed by my early childhood experiences. Uh, And I want to kind of leave a couple of questions with you, the listener, to really help you think about your journey and your story. Now, what has happened in your life that's actually influenced it and how has it influenced what you do right now? And by understanding that, how might it influence you and inform you and help you going forward? So really reflect on your journey. And the second part to my question would be about the value of sharing your story and articulating and talking out aloud. I found today's podcast experience really cathartic and really insightful. And by talking it through, sharing it, but also sharing it in a a sort of an avenue or in a place like this has actually really challenged me to think deeply and I've actually shared things which I thought I might not, but also there's things which I've still held back, which I would still like to share further. But I just think the exercise, the principle and the process of doing something like this is really very developmental and beneficial. So consider how might you share it to a wider audience or just to a small audience, but for your benefit as well. And on that note, there'll be further Sports Stories podcasts and obviously we delve into the wider individual's lives coming forward over the coming months there is also going to be the sports stories 15 the ss 15s which as i mentioned will be run by ruby and lucas they'll be really exciting insightful to the point topical and relevant themes related to sport so please look out for those and if you would like any further details around sports stories please have a look on our website which is www.sportstories247.com and as I always say, it's great to hear from you, the listeners, as to what really resonates with you. What do you like? What would you like to hear more of and what would be really insightful and you know helpful to you? So please keep in contact. Look at the websites, as I mentioned, but also we're on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. So please engage. Drop us a note uh, as we're really here to both offer entertainment, but even more purposefully, we're looking to help you transform, change, move on through your life. And there's loads of good content and resources we would like to make accessible to you to help you on your journey. So all it really leads me to say is have a great week. Look out for the SS15s coming down the line. There'll be further full length uh, podcasts coming shortly, um, but keep in touch, have a great time, keep smiling. And I really look forward to you joining me for further great content through Sports Stories Uh, in the weeks and the months ahead. Till then, take care and I'll see you all again soon.